You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hi, church. I'm Abigail Rowell. I serve in the young adults ministry and the student ministry. Today, I'll be reading Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. We doing all right? Okay, it's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, I do want you to open Matthew chapter five. Uh, if you can get a hardback one or a real one, not the one on your phone, it's gonna be better because I'm gonna jump around, show you a couple things before Matthew five and then something in Matthew five, maybe something in Matthew six if time allows. So that way you can kind of navigate maybe navigate it in a way that maybe is a little bit more friendly. Now, uh, before we dive in, let, let me say this. I wanna remind you and invite you out tonight. Tonight, five o'clock, we have Encounter. Uh, and Encounter's like five to 6.30. And really, what we're doing at Encounter is we're creating space to uh, praise the Lord, uh, to sit in his presence, and then to practice uh, those things he reveals to us. And so uh, I wanna kind of lay out uh, tonight uh, just a little bit of my vision for it over the next year. And that's gonna be based out of Acts uh, 1.8, where Jesus tells his disciples, and you will receive power. Uh, And it's this idea that there is available to you and I uh, a power, a vitality, uh, a, a force within us that moves us from being good moral people who uh, maybe even are saved and come to church occasionally and they're doing the best they can, uh, becoming more and more moral by the strength of their might. And, and, and that's a, man, you want to you wanna do that, go get it and I'll cheer you on and I'll preach to encourage you. But there's something more available. Uh, and, and as I've been here over 20 years now, to watch the light come on, uh, where good men and women who are doing their best to stay morally upright, they attend church, they would call Jesus Lord, and I think he is, are quickened and awakened to something deeper uh, and more powerful and how all of a sudden they're then set loose on the world. I wanna talk a little bit about that and then I want us to pray some of that in for us. Uh, And then this is the place where we pray for our sick, we pray uh, for spiritual freedom, for people who might be in bondage. Uh, And so if you're sick, why don't you come let us pray for you tonight. Like God has healed people in this room in really kind of wild, make your head swim kind of ways. I mean, won't he do it? I don't know, let's get together and find out. We can't make him do anything, he's God. We don't rub the lamp and he obeys us. We just lay our hearts before him and he loves us and he's good and he's kind. So why don't you join us tonight? Uh, I'm eager to see what the Lord will do. Now, um, in John chapter four, there's this really awkward moment between Jesus and this woman that is simultaneously beautiful and goes against probably how most of us operate, right? Which is Jesus, right? Yeah, I mean, you're like, yo, really? Jesus is doing something different than us? Okay, Um, Jesus comes across this woman and nothing about the scene makes sense. She's at the well in the middle of the day, which you don't go to the well in the middle of the day. It's hot, you go early in the morning. So she's there at at the middle of the day. He sent his disciples on in to get food because they were hungry and he was tired. 
I mean, the Bible says Jesus was tired. I don't know if that, yeah, he's fully God, fully man. He got tired. So he's sitting there, he starts this conversation with this woman. And she's shocked that he starts the conversation because the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, if you're hated by a people group, you don't usually respond in fuzzy, warm ways. So she's literally, in the text, shocked that Jesus would speak to her. How are you, a Jew, saying these things to me, a Samaritan woman? Like the Jews would pray that God wouldn't hear the prayers of the Samaritans, and they would pray that God wouldn't forgive the sins of the Samaritans. That's the animosity between these two groups, and yet Jesus starts to to walk her through life and and walk her through the good news of his coming, and there's this moment in there um, where if you're just reading the Bible like you read a newspaper, you'll miss it. And he says to the woman, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to that statement, I know you don't. You've had five. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. It's like, hey, slow down a little bit, Jesus. There's better ways. Tell me you wouldn't coach Jesus to maybe soft pedal that a little. (laughs) Right? Go get your husband. I don't have one. Oh, I know you don't have one. You've had five. And the guy you're sleeping with now, that's not even your man, right? It's like sex for rent kind of thing. You're a mess, lady. Like, you don't go hard at people like that, right? You've got to be sweet. You've got to be kind. And yet, Jesus loves her too much to not touch that deepest of all wounds. He is not interested in her shame or her guilt except to free her from them and to not Touch the wound is to ignore the need of its healing. And so Jesus does something that almost everybody in this room would counsel him to not. Don't don't go hard at people's deepest hurt like that. Come at it another way. Paint what's beautiful and point to what's beautiful, but don't touch the the pain. In fact, that's most of us. We don't want Jesus to touch certain things. Here's one of the things I've learned in 20 years. People love, I, I'm getting it, girl. Um, people love, here, here's, I mean, I'm telling you, this is 20 years now, I can say it. People love my little prophetic, angsty bent until it touches that thing they worship that's not Jesus. And then I've sold out and they head somewhere else. I mean, I can just say I've been here long enough to say it. Right? Oh, get them, Pastor Chandler, but you better not touch this. And so I'm, I'm pointing this out because I want to try to touch something today. I just want to touch something today. And, and I do it every year. You're not going to be surprised. In fact, sometimes I do it a couple times a year. In fact, back in June, we covered a lot of this together. We cover a lot of this often together because it matters. It's probably 15 years ago, uh, maybe 16. I'm not, I'm not great with those things. I could probably just ask my wife and she'd give me the exact hour. But um, we often joke that I'm the message and she's the new American standard, right? I'm just like, great ideas. And she's like, precision. If you ever hang out with us, you'll find us. be able to like, uh, you know, about six months ago, she was like three. It was about, right? She's just that. And praise God for it. Um, so 15, 16 years ago, Bible reading plan, right? So I'm just reading my Bible uh, early in January, you know, when we're strong at it, like we're still in. We hadn't quite hit Leviticus yet. And uh, Genesis 5.3, here's the verse. It's an odd verse, and it's a weird one to get ambushed by the Lord on. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his own image and named him Seth. Now, can we agree there's a lot going on in that sentence? 130, fathered a son, 
in his own image, in his likeness. Well, well, here's what happens when you're a bit of a Bible nerd is I immediately thought, I wonder if that phrase in the Hebrew, in his image, in his likeness, is the same one found earlier in Genesis at the creation of humankind, at the creation of Adam and Eve, where God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so we've got God creating humankind and saying within the Godhead, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And now you've got Adam having a boy named Seth and this exact same phrase, in his image, in his likeness. So is the writer of Genesis trying to get our minds and hearts to see the line that the image of God placed into Adam has now been passed on to Seth so that the same image given to Adam and Eve in the likeness, in the image of God actually is sent through the line into all humanity. Now, that is basic Judeo-Christian doctrine. It's called the image of God that all human beings, regardless of ethnicity, socioeconomic placement, mental capacity, physical ability, have been made in the image of God and are unique among all other things that have been created. It is humankind alone that has been given a moral, spiritual aptitude and it is humankind alone that is somehow like God. So I'm gonna guess, just gonna guess, that your dog and or cat and or ferret is awesome. (laughs) Just gonna guess. I'm gonna guess that when you walk in the door, your dog thinks the king is here. (laughs) And I'm gonna guess maybe, just maybe, maybe not, you've trained it to do some things. Right, like you, you can sit, man, you bark, speak, fetch my slip. I don't know what you've taught your dog to do. You people are crazy. Give him a sweater, put him in a, a stroller and go take him for a walk. It's, we lost our minds. But your dog has never stayed up late at night and worried about the future. He or she has not worried about their pups, whether or not they would turn out to be okay They've never wondered what happens to them when they die. Now, they don't want to die. That's instinctual. Death is unnatural in this world. It was introduced by sin and the fall. All creatures know death is unnatural. All creatures will fight against death. But it's been given to us and us alone, this moral and spiritual aptitude. So so again, the the way I work is I start pulling this thread. This is how every sermon series that's ever been preached here begins, some random morning in the kitchen like that. And and so I begin to to pull, and and here's what I begin to see. By the way, this is for free. This idea of the Imago Dei, this distinctly Judeo-Christian doctrine is the foundation of any talk of human rights and of equal rights Ever. It was non-existent in the world until Jesus burst onto the scene. You do the, you do the work, all right? Anytime somebody talking about equal rights or human rights, they're rooting themselves in this creation narrative and in this idea of people are made in the image of God. You can't argue equal rights outside of this understanding because what would you base it on? 
You ain't got nothing to base it on. It was non-existent in human history. It is distinctively Christian. And I'm, I'm just gonna keep arguing. The big mess we're in is everybody wants the kingdom but doesn't want the king. It's just not gonna work that way. So let me get back to my sermon. That was for you, back here. All right, so, so we've got this distinct moral and, and, and ethical and spiritual nature that's distinct among all other creation. No other animal has it. As beautiful as they are, as expensive as they are, no other animal has it. We alone have it. So when did this nature happen? Where does it occur? Well, I, I was, you know, I'm reading Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. I have kids. No one has to teach your kid to be dishonest or violent. Anybody, let's just minister to each other. Anybody have a kid in here that like bit? Like they just were biters. Like, okay, now let's talk. They learned that from their environment. They're watching you and your spouse argue about dinner and you just bit your spouse. My guess is they didn't. So what happens? Because we're giggling, but the response is I'm not getting what I want. That makes me angry violence. Do you teach your kid how to lie? Now, for the record, some of you, yeah. It's all right. Listen, grace upon grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But you usually don't have to teach a kid to be dishonest. It's just natural. And this passage is saying that moral, spiritual thing, essence, that's only ours, goodness sakes, it's in the womb, and, and they come out swinging. Then from there, Job 14.4 is just a question. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? There is not one. Job 15, 14. What is man that he can be pure? Or he who can be born of a woman that he can be born righteous? So this whole idea, what I'm trying to show you right here, is that this thing that makes us distinctly human, made in the image of God, this moral, spiritual component that is ours and ours alone, is present in the womb. But then you have to ask the question, but when in the womb? Okay. Well, David says it this way in Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And, and that was the, okay, the word of God, the Bible, just made the argument that life begins at conception. And I thought, just cards on the table, oh no. Because now I have to say something. And that year, that, that following year, I, for the first time, after a week of just more study than ever, more trepidation than ever, more prayer than ever, like nearly vomiting backstage, just stepped out here and wanted to be real bold about what the Bible said and what its implications are specifically as it relates to abortion, specifically as it relates to how we view and see life in the, the womb. And, and so stepped out and just did it. And I just thought, hey, I'm gonna make a lot of space here this morning. I'm gonna create a lot of space for other people to come in because this is, like, I didn't know at that point, I didn't heard a lot of other pastors even addressing it. And, and yet the, the text is just so, like, Here's where it starts. Like life is in the womb. Like own DNA, own blood flow. At conception, the Holy Spirit of God in how God set up biology, this idea of a soul or a spirit, bam, there, instantaneously. Like there's this out of nowhere, this brand new human soul. 
Like it's, it's out of nowhere. Like we're not, we know how biology works. We just think there's something behind the biology. I'm, I know how babies are made. Uh, I'm saying there's something going on behind that. The Bible says in this moment of conception, sperm and egg, new life. Immediately a brand new chain of DNA unique to this lone soul. It's not attached to anyone else anywhere ever in the history of the world. Unique, a new Type blood type, a new, like all of a sudden we've got all that going on there. It's this unbelievable, mind-bending life, soul, here, now, out of nowhere, here it is. It's this beautiful picture. And so year after year, uh, I've tried to just address this. It, this weekend, every year, head on, throughout the year, I might just added in as the text that we're in so lays before us. But I wanted, to, um, I wanted to put before us really two things. Here's what I'm after today. Um, if you're in here today and you've spent way too much time hiding past shame, I want to give you hope that there's healing and life for you outside of that. And, and if your whole view of the Christian life is you just trying to be a good person while you show up in church a couple times a month, I want to provoke you to get in a much bigger fight. So that's my, there, there's my outline right there, okay? And I think Matthew 5 helps us get there. In, in Matthew 4, if you're looking at your Bibles, you can look at verse 23 through 25, and here's what you see. You see Jesus going throughout Galilee, and he's preaching the kingdom of God. That's what he's preaching, right? He's not uh, preaching what you and I know as, hey, get baptized and be morally good. He's preaching the kingdom, the inbreaking of his kingdom into this broken and lost world. He's saying heaven has invaded earth. He is saying the future is now now. He is showing with his miracles, with his presence, and with his power that sin and death's days are numbered. This is what he's preaching, the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is here. Death, demons, pain, sorrow, it's on the clock. The inbreaking of the kingdom, that's what he's preaching. And then at the end of that, he preaches the best sermon the world's ever heard in the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins them um, with the Beatitudes. And if you've got any kind of church background, you're probably familiar with the Beatitudes, 10 straight, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are yous. And I think it's important to know that the Beatitudes aren't like the kind of people Jesus came looking for. Are you tracking with me on that? It's not like Jesus shows like, where are the poor in spirit? Those are my kind of people. No, no, no. This is the kind of people that God is going to turn us into. What do kingdom people look like? Eventually this. Right away? No, not right away. We learn slow and hard. This is where we're going. So even you want to like, where, how is my life as I'm trying to follow Jesus? Where, where's my life going? Oh man, I'm glad you asked. It's right here. So he starts to walk through these beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And funny, the funny thing's happening in the Greek. It's like theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of God. So blessed are the low, blessed are the small, blessed are the ones who know they're not the stuff. Blessed are the I'm in need, blessed are the I can't do this, blessed are the dang it, it got me agains. Theirs is the kingdom. Not the I got this, not the I'm strong enough. No, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom. Who? The poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he bookends it, for theirs is the kingdom. Now, I also think it's important to note, and this isn't even the primary passage, that this idea of blessed is not happy, right? I just, this is my, I'm like on a, like a war path against this happiness idea lately, right? It's not, this isn't like happy are the, the poor in spirit. No, he's saying, he's actually saying that, that blessedness is not some sort of subjective feeling you have, but how God sees you actively growing into what he's turning you into. So it's when you're laid low by your own doing or by the hand of God or the good mixture of those two things, God says, blessed. There we go. Now you're getting to where I can give you the things that I want to give you. Blessed are those who mourn. There it is. Yeah, the sin of the world is terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's awful. I'm here. Blessed are the meek who don't use their power to get what they want, but humble themselves and wait on the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like when you, when that thing I was even talking about earlier and talking about encounter, when you get past the I'm doing enough to what, what all is there, that's a turn, man. I like to go to church and, and try to stop looking at porn and you know, be a good dad or good, I'm trying to be a good, but, but not look, no, no, no. I, I want the fullness of the kingdom of God in me and through me and in this, I want all of it. Like that's who gets filled. Like if you got enough, that's all you're gonna have. But man, with an inexhaustible well, you want like a, like a little thumb thing to drink, like that little communion cup we gave you, that's all you want? I want the fire hose, even if it knocks me over. <laughs> right, this is what he's saying here. So the blessed isn't like you're gonna feel really happy that you got brought low, it's that God sees how you're being formed and he's like, I think oftentimes like, don't even know how blessed you are. Man, I'd have given you everything you want, you'd have burned yourself out and destroyed everything you love. I'm not gonna do it, I'm gonna lay you low. It's got very few categories for how good God is by giving us hard things. All right. Now, from these Beatitudes, he moves to this part of the sermon. This is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, what I'm trying to bridge here is the very real pain and loss that comes upon the lives of women who feel hopeless and feel like there's nowhere to go. And in their desperation, um, and because of what I'm just gonna call, I mean, I'm probably already in trouble, might as well just go in, um, what I would call ideological propaganda feel like the only way they can go is an abortion, which actually kills a real human being, an innocent human being. 
And I know that sounds hard, and I'm trying to say, if you're in this room and this is your background, you're okay. Like, man, the Lord loves drawing from the outer fringes those who will become his brightest lights. I'm gonna give you a testimony of that here in just a little bit. Here's what I mean by ideological propaganda that we all drink in nonstop. I I just, because I've been in this for 15 years, um, I I will find like this kind of thing happening all the time. Just a couple of months ago, uh, The Guardian magazine, uh, online thing, they, they put out this article that said that a fetus is nothing but a clump of cells. And those liars outright manipulative liars doctored the photo. They took out the one that's been absolutely the one that everyone is, that has a little eye, that curls, has little hands and little feet, and they changed it and made a big headline that a fetus is just a clump of cells. It was such a pathetic attempt at deceit that even advocates for abortion came out. It's like, we don't need to win this way. This is absurd. Right, but it's that kind of, and the rhetoric is like, it's nonstop and it's almost always based on logical fallacies. But that's not the way we teach or train anymore, so we're not really thinkers. Historically, in Western civilization, the way you navigate complex emotional things, because this is a complex emotional thing, is through the idea or the concept of first principles, right? Um, and, and what you do is you establish a first principle, and then that first principle becomes the judge by which we weigh every other argument, right? Uh, and so let me, let me take a shot at this first principle. Um, is it ever okay to end an innocent life? If what the Bible says is true, and I know we don't, maybe we don't always add, maybe you don't land there, but as Christians, we're the people of the book, Right? This is going to put its weight on us. We're going to submit to it, not kick up against it. Like this, this is our book. It's unbelievably unique. I'll eventually preach a sermon just on the uniqueness of the scriptures. It's crazy. And, and in this, we humble our hearts before what God has revealed to us. And we say, no, this means at conception, we have a human being. And we would believe. Here, here's, my, here's my first principle. It's never okay to murder an innocent person. There's my first principle. Now, you can now come at me with almost any question or or series of events that might be heartbreaking. It might, listen, in this world, there is the kind of stuff that'll make the floor fall out from under you. There's kind of, people are brutal, evil creatures. And there's beauty out there. I'm not saying all, I'm just saying people have the capacity for cold brutality. And I'm here, look at me. Satan hates women and children. He hates them. And his hatred for men only goes so far as if he can get men out of doing their role, then women and children are even more exposed. Who is it that the Satan's always trying to deceive and go after? And I would add, and here we go, I would add, I get it. Like if I'm Satan, I'm probably going after the ladies too. They are far more spiritual. They're far more prayerful. They're far better at worship. They're more intuitive to the things of God. They just, man, I'd go after them too. And if you read the Bible, isn't the, aren't these, these crazy women of valor that keep causing Satan so much trouble and what he's up to? I mean, it's profound to watch. He hates them. He hates women and children. And so, so much of this propaganda is actually trying to go, no, women, you get this. This is for you. They're trying to take from you. And it's a lie. It's propaganda. Even the arguments, they start to be like red herrings or like they change the subject, 
Well, you really cared about life. Why aren't you talking about guns or immigration? Well, those aren't, those are issues. Yeah, we, but I'm talking about this. Like, yeah, I get, we probably need to have a conversation around both of those things. But, but what about this? Well, I can't believe that. Have you seen the foster care system? It's deeply broken, which I would say, oh my gosh, it is. What an opportunity we have as the people of God to get in there and help. Right? The answer can't be, yeah, we can with tears go, absolutely. Yeah, that's an issue. What we can't do, knowing what we know from the scriptures is go, oh yeah, that's awful. The answer is to kill that baby. That's not a jump we get to make. But in this world full of brokenness, sorrow, and sadness, our role, according to Matthew, as we become the kinds of people, according to Jesus and Matthew, as we become the kinds of people that God is making us over time, is to embrace our role as salt and light. And that means we are actively involved in the brokenness of this world as best we can with where we are and what he's entrusted to us. So that what we're living unto is the kingdom and not unto ourselves. So Jesus will either be, in your understanding of the Christian faith, Jesus will either be a genie in a bottle that you work to manipulate to get what you want for the life that you think you should have, or there'll be an understanding of the kingdom that draws us into actively participating in the pushing back of darkness and the establishing of light and order. And around this subject that has everything to do with instant, long-term, faithful care of women and maybe women and men and children who find themselves in hard ways and in hopeless ways. Not just throwing some diapers at the problem, although they might need diapers. Not just throwing a can of formula at the problem, although they might need formula. But actually to figure out a way, and and we'll talk about that here in a moment, to be involved for those who are in danger, to care, love, reestablish hope, and walk with into what God has for them. Now, I said at the beginning, and I'm going to introduce a friend um, here in a second to share her story on this front, but uh, I said it was for, I'm preaching two ends, right? That statistically, there are men and women in here, women and men, let me put the emphasis that way, um, who this is, this is not conceptual, this is life. You looked at a test, you saw two lines, you didn't know where to go, didn't know who to talk to, maybe you didn't have anywhere to go or anyone to talk to, and there was no way out and, and having been bombarded with the propaganda that I alluded to earlier, you just took the, the path that you took. I, I want you to hear me. Here, just even, like you have not outsend the grace of God. You, you, you can't do that. Like the Bible is just filled with men and, and women who, who man, I, I don't, this is weird things, but they just outsend you. And, and the Lord's grace is available. So don't, what the enemy wants to do, because he's scared of you, is to keep you stuck in that secret shame and quietness. The lies, like maybe I did outsend the grace of God, maybe this time, it, you know, that, all of that, like that, just keeping you in your chains. And what the Lord wants to do is pull you out. Or maybe you're a young man in here, an older man in here, and man, you forced some young woman years ago, or you forced your now wife, or you, and, and man, that still gnaws away at you. It's the same thing. The enemy wants to keep you stuck there. And yet the invitation is one of light and life, confession and redemption. And, and so I want you to hear Madison's story. She's going to come 
boldly share. Uh, and then I want to tell you how kind of we can approach this and we'll be dismissed. Will you guys welcome up uh, Madison now? Hi, everyone. I'm Madison. I'm a little nervous, so we're just going to get through this together. The story I'm sharing with you all today starts with me in a CVS bathroom looking at two very clear lines on a pregnancy test. I had just found out I was unexpectedly pregnant with a guy I had been more or less secretly dating for months. I remember falling to that bathroom floor, silently crying in desperation to the God I have known and believed in for almost my whole life. I saw no way forward that involved me keeping the baby. I'd never felt so alone or scared in my life. So I did the best I could to detach myself emotionally and mentally from every aspect of this decision. And a few weeks later, I quietly went to a clinic in Dallas to end the life inside of me in order to carry on with the life I thought I was supposed to live. From then on, I steeled myself for a lifetime of pretending none of it ever happened. As time went on, I quickly found myself exhausted from all of the lies that were required to keep everyone in my life in the dark. There was a part of me that believed I had outsinned the grace of God with this one, to the point where the shame had all but drained the life out of me. So, it was four years ago, to this day, that one Sunday morning I got myself to church for no other reason but to get my parents off my case about going to church. Um, and time stood still as I realized this was the Sunday where the village addressed the sanctity of life and abortion. Out of all of the Sundays to come to church, um, I remember feeling so weary and was sure that sitting through that sermon would be too much to bear. In the end, I thought better of up and running and figured I could sit through one service. Sticks and stones, right? Jamin Roller was speaking that morning, and the first thing he said that struck me was, Grace and tandem, or grace and truth work in tandem with one another. So if there's a truth spoken today that is heavy or hard to hear, grace increases to you in the form of a savior who lifts burdens he does not add to them. He goes on to reference Genesis 21 and shares the story of Hagar and Ishmael. He paints a picture of a God who sees. A God who saw Hagar unable to witness the death of her own child and out of desperation places him outside of her earshot. A God who, hears, who heard her cries and Ishmael's cries. The same God that sees me is also a savior who lifts burdens he does not add to them. That was enough for me to break. Once the tears started to fall, I had no hope of stopping them. I was desperate to see if there was a possibility this could be true for me because there was nothing else left for me if not. So at the end of the service, I fought my way up the stream of people leaving to find someone with a lanyard. Um, I verbally vomited to this poor unsuspecting person that I'd had an abortion two years ago and she was the only, only person who knew. Um, she lovingly got me in contact with um, Mari Hundley, who is one of the care ministers here um, and she told me about a post-abortion Bible study they offer here and encouraged me to um, come to recovery. So I reluctantly agreed, but quickly reminded her that none of this meant I had any intention of telling anyone in my life really what had happened. Um, 
So somewhere along the way of the nine-week Bible study called Hope Abounds, I realized that it was pretty messed up that I was telling my parents every week that the Bible study I was going to was over Romans. Lord help me. Um, (laughs) At the end of the study, um, we would hold a memorial service honoring the lives of our babies, and I didn't want to do that alone, and I'd realized that I didn't have to do it alone. Um, So I knew that I was going to have to tell my parents about everything, and I was terrified. But one Wednesday, Maury followed me to my house and sat with me in their living room as I told my parents that for the past two years, I had kept the fact that I got an abortion to myself out of fear and that up until now, it had been slowly killing me. Before I could even finish my apology, my dad had gotten up from his seat, crossed the room, and held me while I wept. Through his tears, he told me how sorry he was and how he just wishes that he could have known sooner. I can't begin to describe the relief I felt in that moment. The beauty of it brings me to tears to this day. Yet still, I continued to weep in my father's arms, for the first time truly grieving the wreckage that had taken place because of my sin. I wept for the baby that we would never get to meet and that my parents would have loved. I wept for how severely I had gotten everything wrong for so long. And I wept for all the time I spent fighting a battle that had already been won. It is by God's grace and mercy alone that in his goodness, he showed me a better way forward. Only God could take something that I considered the absolute worst part of me and my past and turn it into something for his glory and my good. If you can take one thing away from my story um, is that no matter what your story is, that you've not outsinned the grace of God and that you don't have to walk this alone and that there's hope and healing and freedom for you. It, it can literally feel like death to let go of shame. Such an insidious, terrible tactic that the enemy uses. Like, if I let the light in, and if people see how ugly this was, or this is, what will they think? What will they... And, And that unanswered question has so much power over our lives. I mean, you heard Madison testify that she was dying inside, like starting to die. And by the grace of God, it was two years. What if it had been a decade? What if it had been 15 years? What if it had been 20? I've been on the mountainside with men who are in their 60s, who all the way back when they were 14, there was something, and they'd never told a soul their whole lives marked by shame. Marriage is affected by shame. Relationship with their kids affected by shame. This is how the enemy works. I'm, I'm trying to lay in front of you that dragging darkness into light starts its death. And I'm, and I'm trying to, even in asking Madison to share, to just show you, you know, this is a safe place for that. Like, I I think you've already heard me say multiple times, listen, I think we're a mess here. And if we're ever not, I'll probably go somewhere else because I won't feel right here. Like, we're all in such desperate need of grace. Yes, unto salvation, but it had better stay on through glory. 
And this is the message of the gospel. And, and so, man, if this is you, and maybe, man, maybe the Lord's doing, I mean, I love how the Holy Spirit works. Maybe the Holy Spirit's doing something to have anything to do. Maybe this abortion isn't your deal at all. Maybe it's something, maybe it was an affair, maybe it's something, but there's some kind of shameful secrets just rotting your guts out. Well, the invitation of the gospel is to step into the light. It doesn't mean anything's gonna be easy. It just means that you got a shot at healing and wholeness and hard but whole is better than, uh, than like rotting from the inside and fractured. The Lord will sustain you. The lie shouldn't have more power than the truth. And then maybe, maybe you, like you can appreciate all that because you've experienced that grace. And, and so I want to move you to our foyer being filled with opportunities for you to help. One, one if you're a man or a woman and you're, you, you've either, um, you either found yourself uh, pregnant and, and you're not expecting, and that's for the woman, but you're a husband or boyfriend of Wednesday night, uh, you do have to clarify that. Um, you, you, you've got Wednesday night, we've got Bible studies for unexpected preg- pregnancies, embrace grace. And then the Bible study she was referencing also meets on Wednesday nights and, and is a nine week program for post abortive care. And, and then from there we have young lives. And I, I, I don't think anyone's on the front line of heartbreak and grace like young lives is. It's a hard time to be a teenager. We've got the Pregnancy Resource Center out there, twice as nice resale store. Maybe that's more your thing. You're like, I don't know about all that, but man, I can, I can work some resale. And, and so we've got there out there, Blue Haven Ranch is out there that kind of bubbled up from, from our going at this subject so often. And they've just done a phenomenal, I mean, this is job training. This is home placement. This is, this is created the grave type stuff. This isn't throwing baby bottles at people. This is, we're with you until you're on your feet and you're well, and then we're still with you. And you should want to participate in something like that. It's a good expenditure of your life and your resources. So I'm going to pray for us. And then Grant is going to sing a song he wrote for us, over us today. It's just kind of a passive receiving of something while we sit in the weight of all this. And then we'll be dismissed and there's going to be some men and women. They're going to be up here for prayer uh, and maybe like Madison, you just make a beeline down here. Maybe you're just like, ah, I'll try Wednesday night. But I'm, I'm asking you, I know the game of, of just wrestling right now to hang on to it. That's why I said sh- letting go of shame feels like death because you don't know if there's anything underneath it to catch you. And I'm just trying to as boldly as I can go, he'll catch you. He'll catch you. It's what he does. But you got to trust him. You got to take that step of faith into the light. And then after that, you'll, you'll be free. And I would encourage you to just kind of check out the tables and stuff we've got in the foyer. Find a place to serve. Find a place to give. Find a place to sow your life into the kingdom. When all is said and done, it'll be the kingdom of God fully established, moved forward by his people, empowered by his spirit that becomes what we all experience forever and ever and ever at the return of King Jesus. Until then, we're in the fight and he has given us everything we need to flourish in the fight. I want to just perpetually remind you that there's more available to you in King Jesus.